Welcome back to the Behind the Net podcast. As always, I'm your host, Michael. Alongside me is my fellow co-host, Matthew. Um, Today, although we're a sports podcast, right now, it's fair to say that sports is the last thing on our minds, and really, it's the last thing that matters right now. We've been outraged by the murder of George Floyd in the United States last week, and other innocent black life murdered in custody of the police, and he certainly was not the only one such as Tamir Rice, Breonna Taylor, Rodney King, and so many others. The racism, oppression, and marginalization we witnessed in the States has historically also happened in Canada and surely in many many other countries, such as Libya, South Africa, the Democratic Republic of Congo, New Zealand, and so many others. This has really been an ongoing circumstance against black people and people of color, and it cannot be tolerated. As allies, it's our responsibility and duty to listen, learn, and share resources and do our part to help uplift the black community and help fight racism and police brutality. We could have easily skipped this week's episode, but silence is not an option. Today, instead of talking about sports, we want to have a discussion about these issues and really shed light on the fight against the terrible acts of police brutality and the racist murdering of innocent black men, women, and children that continue to undermine the safety of our black brothers and sisters. There's been centuries of racism and oppression against the black community, and honestly, we all wish this wasn't still an issue, but the reality is is that it very much is still prominent and inevitable. And we have to stand by our brothers and sisters who are victims of repression because of their skin color and who are seeking justice through protests. Now, before we get into the discussion for today's podcast, we want to encourage everyone, especially people who are non-Black and privileged, to take the time to educate yourself about the issues that Black people face every single day. Donate if you can, sign petitions, and just do what you can to be allies. If you want more resources, if you want to know what about where to donate or just find a petition to sign, definitely check out blacklivesmatter.carrd.co. Some places to donate include the George Floyd Memorial Fund, Black Lives Matter Global Network, the National Bailout Fund, Campaign Zero, and so many more that we could possibly list. Uh, there's so many great resources you guys should definitely check out. For sure. And um, obviously, we don't want to overshadow any voices in the fight for justice. We we want it as allies. We want to amplify the voices of our black brothers and sisters. So to help further this conversation, we have two very special guests on the show today. Um, Michael, do you want to? Yeah, you could introduce the first guest. Of course. Yeah. First up is uh, Peter Ash, who is a story editor for TSN as a sport, a black journalist in sports media field. He has really come a long way. Uh, like myself, he's a, re- a graduate of the Ryerson School of Journalism. He was once a sports editor for the Eye Opener. And uh, I'm very proud to say he's one of my good friends during that my four years there and a friend that I'll have for the rest of my life. Uh, Peter, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate it, Mike. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course, man. And uh, we're also joined by my good friend, uh, Tiffany Mongu, a writer for Buy Blocks. Her work can also be found in publications like BlogTO, Hey Black Girl TO, and The Ryersonian. And I'm honestly so proud of so much of the work she puts out, uh, you know, reporting on uh, these injustices, you know, so so often. And she, she does such great work. So, Tiffany, I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Matt and Michael. I'm so um, happy to be here and uh, to be a voice to the voiceless. Of course, of course. So, um, I mean... I want to just jump right into it, of course. Uh, we, first, can you just uh, explain uh, what went through your head when uh, 
uh, or what was your initial reaction when you first uh, heard or, or watched the uh, brutal murder of George Floyd by the police? Peter, you can go first. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, it's going to sound uh, extremely, uh, I, I guess, I, I'll say messed up in a way. Um, but to be completely honest with you, like I'm, I was so desensitized by just so much that's happened over the years. I was just like, damn, like again, like this is ridiculous. And I know this time we've had so much more of an outrage and everything like that. But for me, it was more like, I mean, people always have excuses whenever innocent black man or innocent black woman's killed by the hands of police. It's always okay. Well, uh, they're running away, so like they had to do something. They had to react. Oh, what would you do if you react in that situation? Oh, I mean, this was happening. Oh, they had their hands in their pockets. I mean, there's so many excuses, but this time, I mean, you saw the footage. I mean, there's like limited, but uh, you see him posted up on the wall, not resisting. All of a sudden, there's another video of him in a the car. They're saying he's resisting. Clearly looks like they're trying, it's two people against one. He's in a car. Next thing you know, he's on the ground and they have a knee on the back of his neck. I mean, it, to me, it's like, I mean, where where's the excuse now? I mean, what kind of excuses do you have now? What else? I, I, there's nothing else to say. I was kind of like speechless at that point. And I was like, damn, like, again, like this is, it's another one. Like it's, it, it sounds so insensitive and so crazy, but that's, that was my initial reaction. Um, my brother was just kind of saying the same thing. Like, wow, this is, this is crazy. And mom, same kind of thing, but it was, none of us were just going nuts. It was just like another case. It's a, it's another one. And it's really unfortunate, man. It took something like this and to kind of spark uh, so much outrage. And I was going to say, just looking at the way everyone's going, like, I mean, sharing the reactions and going crazy now. I mean, obviously it's, I, I hate to say it, but it feels like it's only because of the coronavirus, everyone's home and there's so much attention brought onto this. That's why we're getting so much of a reaction. It's almost like, okay, you're forced to see it. So now you can't use sports as a distraction. You can't use, oh, it's a nice day here. And we're doing this at the beach as a distraction. It's like, it's right in your face. And it's right there. And that's why we're seeing so much of this outrage. But yeah, to not go back to my initial answer, it's just, it, I was kind of desensitized to it. it. It got to the point where now I'm just like, it's another case. And it's unfortunate, man. It's gotten to the point where, I mean, I, I feel, I felt horrible. I was angry. I was pissed. But at the end of the day, it was just like, damn, like it's another case. Mm -hmm. How about you, Tiffany? Oh, honestly, like, Again, like Peter said himself, it's. I saw that and I was like, wow, okay, this has happened again. Um, as I was watching the video, I was questioning myself and asking myself, why did this man end up on the ground, um, literally being lynched? Police officer. And I wondered if he actually, I mean, if even if he did do something wrong, like it didn't have to end up being the way he got treated did not have to end up being the way we saw. And um, I feel like heartbroken is a understatement to express the way I felt when I watched the video. I was truly hurt. I was angry. I was very emotional. And um, the fact that this was happening in broad daylight where people were circulating cars and everything this didn't even happen like in an alley or what or whatnot like this was done publicly where everybody were able was able to see what was happening and people were asking this police officer to stop as well as <clears throat> sorry his partner that was there to 
to stop. Like this man, George, he was screaming and saying that he couldn't breathe. And I feel like what hit me the most as I watched the video was when he pleaded for his mom saying, mama, I can't breathe. And I can't imagine what this man was seeing at that point. I felt like he was probably saying this because he saw his life, his life flashing by and wished his mother or somebody came to, to rescue him. But unfortunately that didn't happen. The police didn't let anybody come to his rescue and they accomplished what they wanted out of this, which was eventually himself being murdered. And it put me into the position of, you know, feeling scared because, you know, um, my skin color is now being seen as a threat. I could walk down the street and get shot because down the street, I could get arrested because I was coming out of a store. And just seeing that happen to this innocent man put me in the position that could that could happen to myself, that could happen to my mother, my father, my siblings, or any loved ones um, that is also um, Black. So truly, I was heartbroken. I was filled with rage. And um, that's, that's really how I felt in regards to um, George Floyd's uh, video. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I love how you put it, Tiffany, as well. I'm filled with rage. I mean, for me, when I first um, saw the footage, um, of course, me as a brown man, um, I we I've experienced racism, of course, as well growing up, and and it's in our community as well. But um, I know that um, you know my black brothers and sisters also have it you know a lot worse really every day um uh it's the fight against those things you know you know police brutality it's been uh ha it's happened for so long honestly we it dates back like especially as well even you know public outrage from videos that have circulated i mean i could think back to rodney king in the 90s right and um i like how you guys put it because my first thought was again not again and how how much outrage came out of it and i was just thinking about if i'm feeling this outrage then uh you know i'm really i'm really hurting for my uh you know you know the black community because what i'm feeling is only a, fra a fraction of of what the black community is going is actually going through right mm -hmm. and from just from my perspective uh when i saw the video um, I'm just going to be completely honest. Not many videos get to me where I get f super emotional, but after watching that video, I was on the verge of tears. Like I was so heartbroken, so angry, so frustrated that a video like that existed because I'm seeing something happening again that's happened countless other times before. And it's just like what you guys have been saying. It's another case of not again. Here we go again. This is happening yet again. And it's, it's frustrating that we're still having these issues. But at the same time, uh, there's been an outpouring of uh, like response from uh, protest uh, all across uh, the United States and uh, all across the world. So this just so we can continue the discussion along. When you saw the, res the response, how does that differ? How has this one impacted the Black community? 
How does this one feel different? I feel like this was, like, again, the video itself, truly graphic. And we saw, like, as the days were going by, we kept seeing other evidence that was coming out of the case. And we saw that truly this man did nothing. Initially, even when the the first video came out where we saw the police officer pinning on his neck, pinned on his neck, sorry, um, we already knew he didn't do anything. I mean, even if he did do something, like he shouldn't have been in that position. So where we see the police officer pinned on George Floyd's neck itself it's like, okay, yeah, we have seen this, we have seen George Floyd, you know, screaming and saying that he couldn't breathe. But yet you're still placing your knee on his neck, you know? And so, and we had to, we had to watch that until, and it, it just got gradual right to the point where, you know, he said he couldn't breathe. He was pleading to the point where George was silent. He couldn't speak anymore. He didn't move anymore. He started bleeding out of his nose even. So to go, just to just see that footage itself, I feel like that's when everybody just got ticked and was like, yeah, you know, police brutality is a real thing. Even though there's been other cases in the past that have been, um, um, in connection to police brutality, this one is that hardcore evidence that police officers are killing black people. They are killing black men. They are killing black women. They are killing um, black children, boys and girls, teenagers, um, young girls and young uh, and young boys. And enough is enough. We're tired of seeing this. Like we don't want to have to see another viral video this circulate again we don't want to see another black brother another black sister get killed for like for no reason and so i guess that really sparked up the anger and the sadness that we all carry with ourselves whenever we see such videos like this and even see this go all like across the globe literally even in 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 the middle east like you know people are paying their respects and um lighting up candles in honor of of george floyd's um memory and his his brutal murder and so i feel like video itself truly sparked what we're witnessing right at this instant right now of course, of course, that's so true. Peter, do you have a uh, do you have a comment? Yeah, I was gonna say just to add on to Tiffany's point. I think yeah, it's I think everyone's just sick and tired of seeing the same thing happen over and over again. Um, really, what it comes down to, it feels like it's just a dehumanization of African Americans or Africans. I mean, Black Americans, Black Canadians. I mean, just Black people in general. It's gotten to the point now where people are seeing. I mean. Like I said before, it, there's been incidents where there's been videos of people being like, oh, this guy posed a threat. It's a split-second decision. There's always an excuse that's being made. This time, I mean, where's your excuse? There's nothing being done. You put him down. I mean, it's almost like they wanted to put him down like an animal. Um, and it, the same way, like, anybody else should be treated. I mean, you like to think that 
black people, it's gotten to the point where in 2020, it shouldn't be a thing anymore. My grandmother, grandfather, uh, I mean, just fighting for the same thing over and over. It's gone on for years and years and years. Um, and to be honest, again, it's um, when it comes to the reaction, am I surprised that this reaction kind of has gone this way? Not necessarily, only because, again, we're, we're all like forced to see this, right? I think the biggest thing now is there are so many distractions before with a whole bunch of different cases. Tamir Rice, right? A little 12 year old kid getting mm -hmm. shot. I mean, there was not, not too much, not too many reactions to that. People like, Oh, you had a toy gun, police split action reaction. Okay. Black lives, Black lives matter was on top of it. A lot of other organizations were on top of it. That's it. Disappeared. Um, Riona Taylor, that's a story, but that's a story now because everyone's got to see it. Everyone's got to face it. Right. These are mm -hmm. stories that, I mean, to be honest with you, wouldn't be, that big of a deal to a lot of ignorant people or a lot of people who won't be paying attention because there are a lot of distractions that they use to kind of get away from them. And it's just the ultimate reality of this whole situation. I think if Minneapolis, you know what I mean, doesn't burn down the way it is, Desmond Cole said it best. If it, things aren't going the way it is in Minneapolis, we're probably not talking about this in Toronto as much. Um, that third-degree murder charge Derek Chauvin got probably stays third-degree if protests don't happen. Um and it's just, there's so many different things with these cops being arrested and kind of these movements happening, the speech is happening and people recognizing their own like biases and their own like prejudices. And, that, and that's the biggest thing. I think not that we're stuck inside, people are starting to realize, hey, like this is really messed up. Like this has to stop, this has to change. And I don't, I don't know what it's gonna take. Um, I think we gotta keep protesting, keep doing what we're doing, like spreading awareness, but it's also going to get to the point where, I mean, people got to realize, hey, like we're in a position, there's certain people, especially I would say non-blacks, it's, it's got to be white people. I mean, if we're going to straight up call names, but it's got to be the people who are like you, like you guys yourselves, like allies that have to step up and start saying more and do more. It's just the only way it's going to change because we can go ahead and do as much as we can, but nothing's ever going to change unless people start coming together and really doing this thing. And that's why people are trying to, you know what I mean? Unite and become one it's because of all this stuff. You're faced with the truth. And reality is that systemic racism and police brutality, it's it's here. It's right in front of our faces. This is 2020 and it's still been happening. So my reaction to the whole thing is it's going to stay the same regardless of what happens now, three months from now, six months from now. It's, it's going to take a collective effort and it's going to be years. It's going to take a long, long, long time. Who knows? It could still be happening for a while, well after we're gone. But it's going to take a long, long time for like this to change. The only way it is going to change is that people start being more united. And we start taking this thing seriously, especially if you have your own biases, especially if you're in a position of privilege. you got to understand that this isn't something that's just going to go away with a simple tweet, a simple message. It's a lot. Of course. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I totally agree with what you said there, Peter, about how this is not going to go away super easily and the social media post isn't going to just solve the problem. Um, we saw that earlier this week. Uh, with the Blackout Tuesday post uh, that we saw on both Instagram and Twitter and all other social media sites. Uh, I mean, on the one hand, it's great that people are showing solidarity and they're aware of what's happening and they want to show their support. But uh, just because posting a black picture uh, is what you're going to do to help show your support, that doesn't mean that, that can't be the end of uh, your help. There's uh, so many other ways to help support the black community, just like the, with the resources uh, we mentioned at the top of the episode and uh, just learning about why the black community is hurting because uh, these problems have never 
gone away. These problems have never just appeared in 2020. They've always been there. And we always talk about Colin Kaepernick and how he protested uh, during the national anthems uh, back in 2016, I believe it was. And he was protesting the same things that we're, we're seeing protests about now. These problems have always been there. And I think it's very important that as allies, we have to learn, listen, and understand why these problems are existing and work towards ways that we can one day, hopefully, find a solution. Mm-hmm. I 100% agree. Um, and moving on to the to the next question, um, I mean, uh, Peter, you brought up obviously the protests, and they've they've been so important, so fundamental in this uh, movement, especially uh, I mean the whole response uh, to the brutal mur- murder of George Floyd. Um, I do want to ask uh, if you guys could just tell us how have the protests been moving things for the better so far, and are there any specific moments that stood out to you guys from the protests that um, you know. Uh, that's that's really helping bring forth the change everyone's fighting for. I'll say that um, people are around the world really um, are doing what they can, are, are actually going out to protest. Period. Like we're in the midst of a global pandemic. People are not supposed to leave their homes unless they have, um, unless it's it's essential for them to leave. In big 2020, you shouldn't be protesting for stuff like this. Like we shouldn't be out protesting for black lives. We shouldn't be protesting for the freedom of life, for the freedom of living like every other people. Like we don't have, we don't like, we we shouldn't be doing that in in 2020 actually. So it is good to see, but it's also sad to see at the same time because people are putting their lives on the line with the virus still, spreading around the world and um even though you know people are protecting themselves wearing masks and everything um it's still it's still sad to see but it's also really um it gives me chills to see that you know um even allies non-blacks white people um everybody from different countries coming together and walking out on these streets and telling you know the the government and whoever is in the higher positions that you know enough is enough we want justice for um the murdered people that murdered black people we want justice for cases that have been closed that have that haven't been looked at that have been dismissed because you know and um we want justice against police officers that haven't been held accountable for their actions. It's um, really moving to see that everybody's coming together and walking out, um, protesting for what's right, for what's just. Um, I feel like what hit me the most in this, enti- like in, in what I've been seeing is um, really the protest in France that happened, I believe it was a day or two ago, about a young man that was also killed um, at the hands of, in custody of the police. And the whole, literally, like the whole country came together and protested for this young man. And um, just the image itself was just 
really moving and, and, and just brought me chills to see that, you know, we're, 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 we're starting somewhere pretty much. That's really what I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of the, of the, of these protests that I'm currently witnessing, um, now. Mm -hmm. Peter. Yeah. Um, you just add on to that. I think, yeah, it's the fact that we're starting somewhere. And I think the fact that, um, a lot of people, like even, um, a lot of people that I know that I guess uh, I met throughout high school or even people uh, in college or like friends I've met around, like, I guess at the time of my life, asking a lot of questions like, well, hey, like, what are your comments on the protest? Like, how do you feel about like the rioting? Like, and normally I know what's going to come next, right? If they're non-black or non-POC, they're going to say, oh, but don't you think it's a little absurd or a little extreme? And I say, no, like I, again, Personally, would I be writing or would I be smashing windows and stuff like that? Not necessarily, but what I what I think people fail to understand is there's a reason why that's happening, right? Um, people have tried before to be peaceful, like completely peaceful. Um, people have tried to like, I mean, kind of go along their business and, and do the right thing and kind of just combat it in a different way and try to get in a position of power. And it's at, it, there's always something there. There's always an obstacle because of the color of their skin. There's always some kind of politics where they don't trust this person again because of the color of their skin. It's like, it, you, it gets to a point in time where people are just fed up with that. And that's what I'm saying. Don't be surprised if you see people, you know what I mean? Do the most. And I, I don't like some of the extreme things that have happened I, that uh, police officer who was shot, uh, the black police officer, 77 year old um, who was killed. There's things like that, that happened in the process. And it's, it's really, really saddening. Um, but to see chaos and everything like that, like stuff like this happen, it's, people shouldn't be surprised. I mean, people are, are fed up. They're sick and tired of seeing the same thing happen over and over again without any change. And what's happened since the protests and since the rioting, like Ella Jones, for example, right? In Ferguson, right? First black mayor, first black female mayor in the state, right? I mean, Missouri is filled with a ton of racism. It, it, there's a lot of people going to the school. I know the University of Missouri, the football program uh, specifically, had a lot of issues uh, with, I guess, them, like a lot of coaches being racist and they've had like a history of changing a lot of players that have left and come in and out of the transfer program. And yet you see this change right here, Ella Jones, obviously the mayor of Ferguson, that's huge, huge steps, right? In the United States. Um, in Canada, I know we haven't done anything too, I guess, astounding compared to the States. I know Montreal has been really wild, but uh, again, people are talking about in two days, we're going to have another protest over here and Again, with violence, I'm not saying it's the way. I'm again, like I don't want to go ahead and be like, okay, violence is the only way we're gonna make change, and this is what has to happen. But at the same time, like things like this are happening because people are just fed up. They're sick and tired of what's going on, and you'd be, I mean, again, you'd be ignorant not to think that oh, violence is gonna happen here. Like nothing's gonna happen. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, like things like this happen because there needs to be change. People have tried to do things the right, quote unquote, right way, right? And I think one of the biggest things I saw, I can't remember exactly who quoted this. I saw it this morning, though. Um, uh, he was talking about, uh, I think it was on CNN, but he was speaking about how we, we can't have, like, the oppressed, uh, or sorry, the oppressors tell us how to protest. We can't tell them, or we can't let them tell us, hey, like, you need to be all peaceful with your, whatever, your flags. You, gotta, you can't come down here and, and not be loud. You got to just do what we want you to do. Like, no, it doesn't work that way. And it's gotten to the point where people are fed up. They're continuing to do what they're doing. And that's why you're seeing 
a bunch of changes happening. All right. Um, again, it's the only way I feel like there's a mix, a healthy dose of both. I think is what's making a change, right? Peaceful and both some violence. I'm not saying on other people, but you're seeing people being outraged, people being angry, the burning of the third precinct uh, in Minnesota, stuff like that's happening because people are just angry and upset. So, um, I, again, I think it's the only way things are going to change. A healthy dose of both is what's happening. And the reality is that's making change happen, or at least the starting steps. I 100% agree. I, I, I really liked both your points. And, Peter, I really liked your point about, uh, I mean, of course, uh, you know, we can't judge uh, – uh, you know, we can't judge people's um, how they how they protest and things like that. But really, I I really look at the protests. And, and I mean, we're recording this on uh, Thursday right now, uh, Thursday, June 4th. And just yesterday, I mean, we saw them uh, increase the charge of uh, for um, George Floyd's murderer uh, to second degree. Um, and we also saw the other officers get arrested. And and uh, it's definitely because of uh you know the heavy response from these protests and and you know it's 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 all it's everyone like how tiffany said it's everyone coming together and and allies and then coming together with the black community and and really fighting for that justice um that that's pushing for you know don't you know people people uh say you know you know that oh they a lot of people a lot of privileged people um wonder you know why why people can't protest a certain way like you said peter people judge how people should protest and things like that but um i mean it's pretty clear that uh that the the pushback that and the outrage and the the protest the protesting has so far brought a good amount of change and and we just hope that you know we we got to keep it up because um we have to keep working towards the goal, the, the, the ultimate goal of, of, uh, you know, abolishing racism and promoting anti-racism for, for the future. Absolutely. Um, and I think what one people, a lot of people in Canada, or at least some people I've talked to will assume that this problem is only a U.S. problem, but that's not the case at all. Um, we go back to Canadian history. I can list off the top of my head the internment of Japanese Canadians uh, during uh, World War II, uh, the entire list of uh, acts of discrimination against the indigenous community throughout the entirety of Canada's history, including residential schools, would take uh, over an hour just to go through. And of course, the black community has also felt some time, has, has experienced a lot of uh, racist acts against them. So this is a problem in Canada too, and worldwide. So... I want to ask you guys, why should Canadians not assume that there's a problem of racism in Canada? And just from your experiences, tell us uh, how you can relate to these situations uh, with um, some experience uh, that you may have experienced uh, in your life as a Canadian. Okay, so um, I'm going to first start off to say that... Um, I am Canadian and I'm also Congolese. And so we're going to dive into the Congolese perspective of how this resonates a bit later on with my answer. But just to answer your initial question, which is what should we tell people that 
aren't that are saying that you know racism is 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 bad in the u.s but it's not as bad as it is in canada mm-hmm. people shouldn't assume that you know canada has been systemically racist and whoever doesn't want to hear that needs to know the facts and do their their research to really figure out why this is true and um I think this is truly ignorant for people to say so. Um, We cannot forget about the Chinese head tax, legalization of slavery and so forth. And there's so much that happened in indigenous communities, such as missing and murdered women that that still aren't found. And if they are, they're dead. Um, Most cases haven't been brought to the justice, nor um, has it been brought the attention it deserves. And... um, Speaking about residential schools, the last one was closed in 1996. Like, can you imagine, like, only 23 to, I don't know, 23, 24 years ago, the last residential school closed in Canada in 1996 um, in, in, in Saskatchewan. And why did we wait that long after kids were stripped away from their um, native identities? They were mal- they were um, maltreated, they were raped, um, they were um, taught a completely different spirituality from theirs to finally close down the school. Why did we wait that long? And um, just to add on to that, I think people need to be educated. It sucks that we weren't taught these problems in school because personally myself um when i recall um learning history i do not remember being taught about you know um indigenous history in terms of what the bad side of it in terms of the residential schools um the the 60s scoop etc etc and um this is why people shouldn't assume such things you know and so it's never too late to you know, pick up a book and begin reading. The internet is free. Go on Google, do your research, and use as many outlets as available as they are to you to get the answers needed to avoid making assumptions and statements such as these. For those that know what's up and for those that are educated, it, it could lead ignorance in trouble. Sure. Just to touch up about, I mean, I don't know. Did you did you want me to talk about my experience um, as I answer this question, or could that come as like a follow up to um, to the initial question? Um, if you want, you can speak about it here. Um, of mm-hmm. course, your experience as a uh, Black Canadian, of course. Uh, what what uh, if you if you do have experiences, of course, just just to shed some light on the issues we. Uh, experience hearing in, in in Canada I mean I for one um uh, like I said before I'm a, I'm a brown man I'm, I'm a non-black person of color um and in our community even here in Canada there's a lot of racism um against the the brown community the South Asian community um and uh I mean this is a sports podcast so I will mention it but just growing up especially uh even in hockey uh which is a very uh privileged conservative culture uh in that sport and um you know we've we've talked about this on the podcast before it's it's um the culture of sports which um let's be real you know especially in canada the hockey culture um plays a lot into canadian culture as well and um when there's a lot of racism there there's going to be a lot of racism outside 
of that culture and into and it spills into you know Canadian culture in general and I for one have experienced that and then I think about um you know how much racism there is um for for the black community and again for the indigenous community and for other um, minorities uh, in Canada it's definitely not you can't just look at the United States and think that Canada is not the same um, I think people just look at it because of the population difference, but the the issues are still the same, and uh, that's why I I I I would I would just love if you guys could just touch upon those uh, what I guess what you've experienced uh, just to shed some light on those issues that to show that it is here in Canada. Okay, so I'll just um, continue off. Um, yes. Personally, I have um, experienced racism. I'm not going to compare my situation with others because a Black person put in the position of feeling um, inferior and not valued because of their race, because of their skin color, is just plain wrong. Um, I recall in high school, I was, um, this was, I was growing up, I was born and raised in Toronto for nine years. And um, during those nine years, I remember there was a kid on my bus um, he was white and his friend was um, Asian. And whenever, you know, they would tease us in the bus, they were older kids. So whenever they saw us on the bus or whenever they wanted to like tease us on the bus, myself and my younger brother, he would say, um, uh, in French, he would say, tapo, ça ressemble, c'est noir comme du caca, which is your, the color of your skin resembles shit. It looks like shit. And at that age, I was like, I was, I think, I believe I was like six or seven. Like, what am I supposed to say? I can't, I can't stand up to, I don't know, like, I think at the time was uh, a fourth, third grader and, and talk to him and tell him that what you're saying is wrong and that it's hurting my feelings. Um, I never said anything. I never defended myself. And I regret doing that looking back now. But I feel like I couldn't blame myself for it because I was very young at the time. And then nine years later, moving into um, predominantly white cities such as Acton and Guelph, um, people, you know, you have people looking at you and your family weird because you're the first black person they've seen. For example, when I was, I wasn't, I lived in Acton for a little bit and um, you just, felt the sense of rejection. You never felt the feeling of acceptance. And um, it, it just, it was just never present. Even at the playgrounds, you know, the other white kids, if they saw myself and my siblings come, take their bikes and go away um, to go home or to play elsewhere. And then um, fast forward coming to Guelph, you know, the same thing was happening. Um, in the classrooms, dominantly white. There was myself and another girl um, that were black. Um, high school, the same thing as well. Um, predominantly black, even though there was a few um, black kids in, in in some of the classes and stuff. Um, I never felt like I fit in. Um, it was a hard, and high school, you know, looking back, um, I think about it being a harder time because, you know, you're, you're, you're finding, you're trying to find yourself, you're trying to create yourself um, an identity. And I'm not gonna say that I didn't have friends in high school. I did have friends and I, and luckily I have managed to have a couple of best friendships. And um, 
But still, I always felt othered because my body was shaped in a different way. My hair was different every month. Um, sometimes I couldn't distinguish between the, the the difference of using my outside voice and my and my inside voice, and I was just different, you know. And um, I felt like I wasn't I I didn't fit in because I wasn't like the other white girls I saw in the high school hallways where they you know they had the straight hair they had a smaller figure they wore yoga pants they had got all the attention because you know they were privileged and stuff that's how i felt and then the worst of them all that being elementary middle school and high school is whenever the topic of racism came up in the classroom people will start side-eyeing you and looking back at you like oh like this is what happened to you like were you there when that happened when obviously like no like I wasn't there, but yeah, this did happen to my ancestors and this did happen to people that lived before me. And um, just going back to what I was mentioning in the beginning, I'm also Congolese, so it's double, it's, it's double the trauma I'm experiencing. So just to brief off, yes, the Congo is a country for the Congolese people, but that doesn't mean that it's all roses and flowers down there because its own people live there. It's actually quite the opposite. And Congo is a rich and poor country at the same time, rich because the mining industry has the most significant impact on the world's production and minerals such as coltan, cobalt, um, copper, diamond, anything you can think of. Yes, like even the devices that we're using right now to make, produce this podcast are the, the materials that are extracted from the Congo's grounds. And children, literally the age of my 12-year-old sister, teenagers and young men are, in, are, are the ones endangering their lives, laboring for these minerals to the cost of nothing because no one else is willing to do the job for them. And for us to use our iPhones, our Androids, our tablets, airplanes, MacBooks, um, have to remember that you have a piece of Congo with you in your pocket, in your hand. You see it. Um, outside of your door. And um, also to add on to uh, how Congo is a rich country, the country itself has a tropical forest. It's called the, the Congo Basin, and it is um, the second world's largest tropical forest in the entire world. Um, the water released from the plants in the air into the ocean is what creates better climate and better um, ocean circulation throughout the entire world. No, I can keep going on and all, um, but all in all, Congo is rich, and I truly believe that when God created the land of my ancestors, truly made it with love, and he was surely impressed. Now, the Congo is considered to be one of the most poorest countries in the world right now because Congolese people aren't benefiting from its wealth. There's no democracy. You know, my ancestors have been fighting for the freedom of life, the freedom, the, the right to live when they shouldn't have been doing that because that's a basic human right. You know, Kim Pavita did it. Simo Kimbangu did it. And especially Patrice Emery Lumumba fought until he was maliciously murdered by oppressors in 1961. Till this day. Despite it being the democratic republic, quote unquote, we've never had this democracy. And until today, we are not free in our own country. People are killed on a daily basis. Younger generations do not have good access to education to better the country and take it over. 
you know, and to rule it. Women and young girls are raped. There's ongoing genocide, extraction, and so forth happening because the country isn't ruled by its own people. We would have been better if, like, and our lives would have mattered if Congolese people had positions, had the positions in the government. And unfortunately, that's not the case. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we also have to think about, you know, people that are also outside of our country, outside of Canada. And I'm only saying this because I have, I am nationally Canadian. I'm born and raised in Canada, but I'm originally Congolese. So both, like I, like, like I mentioned before, I am going through double trauma. I am experiencing it. It's very hard to put, put it all together. Um, but that's just to show that, yes, I am a Canadian. I've lived racism in my own country, in, 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 in Canada, and I'm seeing it also back home where my ancestors are, have been, you know, and um, it's just, that's just my experience of racism all mm-hmm. together, wow. put together. Honestly, like, yeah. Tiffany, like, everything you said is, is just so powerful, and uh, I'm so sorry of what you've had to experience of course and it really just sheds light on the problems that we we've been talking about that it happens here in Canada and that feeling of uh, uh like you said the feeling of of not fitting in is is just so it, it's honestly so common in Canada by a lot of minorities and unfortunately uh, a lot of privileged people just don't realize that fact and and I'm so happy that you came on here to share um your experiences and, and kind of enlighten people with that. Um, Peter, do you have uh, anything you'd like to share? Yeah, I was going to say just uh, quickly before I even say anything, Tiffany, like um, I was going to say, yeah, even, even, I don't even like even saying sorry, doesn't even put into words like how much like I feel towards like just hearing you say all of that, especially just um, I know in the Congolese part, I can't relate necessarily. Um, my dad's Ghanaian, but a lot of stuff that I learned about Ghana everything like that it has been like more recent uh with my dad's personal experiences but not mine i was born in canada i was privileged to be in an area where it was like predominantly black for a while and jana finch and even coming over here in scarborough so uh i didn't get to experience a lot of that stuff i'm grateful for it but honestly uh it was a lot uh thank you again for sharing that i honestly that was uh it was really good i was gonna say um back to even i just kind of stay on that point a bit um, just even about like the whole thing of how people are being treated. Um, I've been saying this for a while, uh, since my mom's been telling her story. My mom grew up in Nova Scotia, um, and in any Ganesh, it's a predominantly white area. Um, a lot of people were racist to her and she had to deal with a lot of fights. My mom was the type of person to back down from anything. She got in a lot of fights, mentally her getting in a lot of trouble. Um, and she used to tell me all these stories about how she had to grow up differently and it was a little bit more different from like for her to deal with stuff than her brothers. And that's why I always say all the time, like, Black women get it so much more harder than black men. It's um, like what Tiffany was saying, her outside voice and inside voice. A good example is like, if I were to raise my voice in the classroom and say something like that, people would be like, oh, you're cool, man. You're like a G. You know what I'm saying? Like some people, mm. people, non-people of color will be like, oh, that guy's like a G. Like I'm scared of him. I'm not going to. But if a black woman does it, it's like, oh, she's sassy. I'm staying away from her. Like that's not the behavior I want to be around. Like it's that type of stigma that's like, it makes it even harder for black women. And that's why I say all the time, like that's why I cherish my mom so much. Like. Black women everywhere, like it's it's so much more harder for them than black men. First of all, uh, it's not even close in my opinion. Like, even if there is that image there of you being like 
uh, a black man who's like affiliated in gang stuff. I mean, compared to black women who have to deal with, I mean, oh, you're an angry black woman or you're this. It's ridiculous how like messed up that is. And it's as easy as that for people to put you in groups, right? I mean, the second that happens, it's you're, you're put into a group and it's really, really hard, if anything impossible to get out of. Um, but just to uh, quickly share, I, I don't like, for me, once again, I was born in Jane Finch. Um, I grew up with a lot of black friends, a lot of black, like my neighborhood was predominantly black, um, goes towards against, I wouldn't say necessarily systemic racism, but at the same time, yes, because it was started, the Italians grew up there first and Jane and Finch, it was a predominantly Italian neighborhood when Toronto was first uh, coming along as a city. And then once they left, kind of uh, did everything with the houses and kind of construction and making their way. Um, a lot of uh, Africans, I would say, specifically West Africans, uh, Ghanians, Nigerians, live around that neighborhood, especially in the early 2000s. Uh, so that's where I grew up. A lot of my friends are black and uh, it was, I always thought it was all good. I'm like, oh, everything's cool and everything like that. But you had, um, I guess it, it's always hard because they were trying to make it, okay, well, it's a poor area. We're going to fill it with a whole bunch of stuff. And I, I think eventually like what happened was uh, you saw a lot of gang activity because again, systemic racism, people were trying to make money. Um, uh, and by any means necessary, you know what I mean? Drugs, people doing a whole bunch of stuff like that and trying to get, I'm not making it sound like anything like a New York kind of hustle, but it was like that over there. Um, and it, it was to the point where like you leave the area and people were like, where are you from? And I'd be like, oh, Jane and Finch. You're like, oh, you're from there? Yeah, I'm five minutes away from Driftwood. Oh, you're from that area? Like, so I used to always, like I was privileged enough to grow up in a neighborhood where a lot of my brothers and sisters were there, but it's tough because again, once you leave that area and a lot of people look at you and be like, oh damn, you came from like the, the gutter and like my image all the time, people would see me and go, okay, this is a guy who plays basketball. He plays football. Cool. Like he's one of those, you know what I mean? Black people, black men, like he's an, if he's not an athlete, cool. He's like probably hanging out with those guys. Like it was always, I was always put into a group. Um, and, and that was my thing growing up all the time. Right. Um, if people were like, Oh, like, cool. Like you're the type of guy who's making me laugh or you're going to do this and everything like that. And that was kind of like, it would be like your thing. You know what I mean? And I know I'm getting into categorizing groups, but that's basically how I grew up. That's how most of it was. Um, it wasn't until I moved out of the area. And once I got into high school and everything like that, you start to realize, Hey, not everything's like that. Um, it's not about being in cliques or groups being put in there. You got to, you know what I mean? Take yourself away from that because people are trying to do that to you all the time. Um, but that the whole situation, I think with uh, growing up in, in neighborhoods and dealing with racism for me, I, I've never been profiled by a cop. Um, but the only incident that I've ever had to deal with, I think major uh, kind of threatening incident with a police officer was uh, we had a little barbecue near my area where I live now. Uh, which is like basically in the corner of North York and Scarborough. And they were doing a barbecue around outside and police showed up and they were looking for people in the area. I'm assuming they did something. And again, once again, it was a black male. They're looking for it's a type, you know, 5'11", 5'10", somewhere around 6'1", something like that. And they were just asking us questions and everything like that. And I was nervous. Like, I was like, damn, like, I can't say any. I'm just going to like, be like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening because I honestly didn't. I'm 15 years old at this time, just chilling there, sitting there. They're asking me questions like, oh, well, like, so like you didn't see anybody around here? I'm like, nope. And it's just weird. Like, I, I didn't know my rights. I didn't know I'd, I, could, I could just like walk away, not ask, her, not ask, like answer their questions. Because I'm just a 15-year-old kid just in the area. But they're asking me questions. Is there this? Is, like, is what's going on here? Like, do you know this guy? Uh, whatever. And I was nervous. I'm not even going to lie. And the cop's like, hey, like, make sure, like, you're t like, I hope you're telling us the truth. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, what? And like the way they're speaking to me in a certain way, I'm a 15 year old kid, mind you. Maybe I don't look like it necessarily because 
I was a little taller than everyone else at the time, but it, it was one of those things where I'm like, damn, like these people are just like, they'll hassle you like you're nothing and you're a little kid. Like I had no parents there, nothing, no one there to guide me. So it was stuff like that where I realized, hey, it's it's not the greatest thing. Um, I mean, obviously stuff I got to educate myself more on. I, I got to make sure I'm on top of my stuff because there's obviously something bigger going on here. Um, and, and that was my thing going up all the time. Uh, I used to tell people, like, people, my buddies and friends would always tell me, hey, man, like, you good? Like, everything going well? I'm like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm doing okay. And I have a lot of friends who come from different backgrounds, some Asians, some white, and some black. But my biggest thing was, with a lot of them, it was always talking to them about, hey, what do you have to deal with on this day? Or what did you do with uh, over here? And some of them would tell me, oh, I had a nice, peaceful day and everything like that. And I had to tell them at 15 years old, hey, I got, like, questioned by the police just being outside and hanging out near a barbecue. It's just... It's stuff like that where, you know, it, it's it's really crazy. I think that's why you see a lot of things happen. Back to the Canada um, incident with racism, I was going to say, um, it's not just even with kind of how, like, watered down it is. My biggest example with uh, how dangerous it is here compared to the States is I, always used to, I used to use this analogy a lot, but I stopped using it for a while with some of my friends. And I brought it up again when we were talking about George George Floyd's situation. Was that, like, let's say, let's say you live in a house and... On the right of you, person you know who's racist, you know they're going to do something, you know they're the type of person you have to stay away from, so you know they're racist, and they're right there. Those people over there are, I guess, the United States, if you want to go ahead and put it there. They're United States. We know they're racist. We know they're there. We got to stay away from them. But on your left of you is Canada. You don't know this person's racist. They're nice to you. They're all, like, chill. Everything's good. And they seem like they're really good people. Right. And who would you rather interact with? Right. The person who's racist or, or blatantly racist or the person who's secretly racist. Right. And and that's the reality of Canada. I, I wouldn't even say it's necessarily secret, but with Canada, they do. A, they do. I mean, a terrific job of masking it. You saw Doug Ford's, you know, I didn't see any. Uh, there's no deep roots of systemic racism here and everything. And then the next day backtracking it and go, oh, yeah, but I know it's true. But like, uh, I didn't really mean it like that. Kind of just like always doing what they always do. Moonwalking their butts back and forth to kind of like correct themselves. And it's a shame. It's really a shame because there's so much they've done to mask that racism, acting like Canada is all better than the States when in reality, they're the secret racist. So in a way, I'd rather know at least that that person's racist over there than deal with the secret racist or the person who's trying to cover it. It's kind of one of those things. Yeah, people can argue all the time, oh, Canada's better than the States. Well, is it really? It's deeper than just black, white. I mean, the indigenous people who've been, I mean, this land was built by indigenous people and it was taken from them. So to say it's Canada, there's no deep roots of racism here. It's, it's it's ignorant, ridiculous, and honestly disrespectful to those people. And it's a shame that we got into this point, but it, it had to happen. Things like this, that's where you see the protesting. That's where you see the rioting. It's it's crazy how much like we've come far, like how far we've come. But that's where you're seeing what's happening now. It's there's so much deeper than that, and that's why Canada it has their problem. It's not like they're not dealing with anything. Canada honestly is in a position where they're gonna have to make some changes themselves and some pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. These are, those are some very powerful answers from both mm-hmm. you, Peter, and uh, Tiffany. And Tiffany, thank you for sharing your poignant story. Those things should have never happened, and people need to know what you experienced is not acceptable. And just for the listeners, I want you guys to really take in what both Peter and Tiffany uh, just said and understand the pain they felt as they were growing up in some ways because this is the fight they're fighting every single day. And as allies... We may not experience what they're going through in, to a certain degree, 
but we can understand that this the pain they're going through should not be felt by anyone else. So please listen to what they say and anyone else in the black community with what they have to say. And also really just take it in and do your research on with the necessary resources because it's going to be very important to become a successful ally. And that's actually what I want to ask you guys next. How can we become uh, not just us, but every anybody in like non people of color or white people? How can someone become a successful ally? I think you need to start off by reaching out, um, offer support and comfort, especially to Black people. Because first of all, like with everything that's been happening right now, personally, myself, my mental health has been distorted. It's been all over the place. Um, others around me have been noticing that I'm stressed and I'm low-key taking it out on them. And um obviously I, I i apologize and i and these are 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 my friends these are um loved ones telling me tiff like we understand what's going on in the world right now but you need to calm down and take care of yourself um and uh whenever somebody reaches out to me um whether that be one of my good friends one of my best friends from high school her name is uh um, sydney heffernan she's also white understands the struggle she educates herself she listens to others and she's been reaching out to me uh very often as well as her um her siblings as well um checking in on me seeing how i'm doing and stuff and that's really that really brought um that really brings joy to me that really brings um happiness to me it brings me some sort of comfort that you know there are people that are understanding, although they can't relate, they understand and they're trying to, their, their best to, 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 to walk um, through this journey with me. Um, I'd also say that you would need to listen. You need to listen, you need to um, acknowledge your privilege as a privileged person. I understand people of color don't have the same privileges as a white person, but um, just listen. In. know when to talk less don't overshadow i had to um correct that with one of um former classmates and uh told them to um tone it down a little bit to know their position in society and know how to use the privileges because you don't want to um speak over those that are trying to have the microphone and voice out their problems, voice out their concerns. You can do a lot, but to a certain extent, I believe, because the movement is um, truly for the ones that are that are that are struggling right now, that are currently seeking for justice. So, um, please, yes. So, just those three things for me, at least. You need to learn how to reach out. Educate yourself and others. Again, Google is free. Google is available. Um, do your research, read books, and um, learn how to listen. Those are, I feel like those are three top things are that could make you a better ally in this, um, in this movement. Oh, absolutely. I totally agree on all those points. Uh, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. Um, Peter, would you like to add to that? Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Um, 
it might sound it might come off as offensive but again like it's it's not like we're trying to go at people and attack them um just based on like oh like you're not seeing anything on social media or whatever like, at least it's it's more than just that it's like listening to us understanding what our problems are seeing what's going on out there in the world trying not to be ignorant like at least making an effort to understand what we're going through because it, it won't truly be grasped obviously that um what people are going through and obviously uh, how everything's going on but at least if you take the time to listen educate yourselves and like uh kind of go into a better person i guess overall because that's ultimately ultimately what you're trying to do right at this point that's the whole point of raising awareness we're trying to make people better i mean it's about getting better and by better i mean not being ignorant not being racist trying to get those biases out of your head and by doing like by listening to people like black people listening to people who have struggled for years um even people of color who have dealt with oppression and a whole bunch of systemic racism listening to them is how we're gonna make change i mean it's easier said than done you could go ahead and say these things and not do them it's just it's kind of like okay well what's the point of just you know what i mean posting a black square what's the point of you know posting this stuff if you're never gonna actually do it um and it doesn't mean you necessarily have to go all out and and do like everything and uh, you know what i mean do the uh, the absolute most it just means taking a step a step-by-step like situation or i guess kind of process um uh my buddy aiden like uh mike you know aiden i, th- I think matt knows aiden as well i don't mm-hmm. know if he knows aiden as well but um he had that huge thread on twitter yesterday talking about how he spoke to his mom about like having a conversation about black people and, and what they're going through and he had a full detail kind of thread about it and talking about how he had to tell her hey like that's not how it is like don't you know that like, they dealt with this and kind of having conversations like that is what i mean like if if you can do stuff like that and reach out to others who might still be ignorant or might just refuse not to listen if you could get to those people it's the biggest way to start change um because in reality those are the people that are creating the obstacles in the first place right even if they're not in a position of power they're still following the masses of people who just refused to see anything change and if you're one of those people it's just you obviously don't believe in solidarity and just humanity period and that's what we're all looking forward to right just trying to make the world a better place i know it sounds cliche as heck it really does but it's it's ultimately the reality that's that's all we want we're not trying we're not asking for something crazy we're just asking to be treated equally and fairly just like everyone else it's nothing in my opinion it's nothing serious it's it's exactly what we deserve just like everyone else mm-hmm. i completely agree and uh I, I i do really like both of your points about uh you know it's uh like it's great it's great of course being an ally is what everyone should be doing but sometimes some people might like as tiffany said might be you know doing a little too much um you know because it is great to be an activist and for a lot of people they really get into it and they have good intentions a lot of the time but they have to remember whose battle it is um that this is first and foremost and being an ally means knowing your position in being an ally and that kind of leads into my next question um of course as i as i just mentioned there there are, there are a lot of people who want to be allies um but they end up making mistakes just like uh just how, how tiffany brought up that story um of uh, a former classmate who she had to speak to um and they end up making mistakes you know either doing too much or doing too little um I just want to ask, what are some things, just quickly, that you guys have seen people do, whether intentional or not, while trying to be an ally, um, where you kind of had to tell them to alter their approach, or essentially, 
Are there any quick do's and don'ts of being an ally that you can give? Okay, so um, in terms of seeing the, in terms of your initial question about seeing allies do too little or do too much, um, in my opinion, in my perspective, on my Twitter, on my Instagram feed, I've seen a lot of hypocrisy in terms of the fact that, you know, people are posting Blackout Tuesday hashtag, but it's like, okay, like you were the same person in high school, in um, university that dissed me, that treated me some sort of different ways um, because I'm simply Black. And um, I don't want to dive too much into that just because, of course, I don't want to take up a lot of time. Followed, I've uh, blocked these people. And um, just to generalize, uh, to answer your question directly, I feel like allies shouldn't be hypocrites. Like If you're going to be an ally, do it genuinely because we do not appreciate performative activism, which is um, to pretend to care and just to follow whatever whatever your friend is doing, that you're also doing it as well, that if you're going to be an ally, do it with all your heart. Be genuine about it. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it in short. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, Peter, do you have anything you want to add? The, the do's and don'ts of being an ally? Yeah, I think the biggest, I think one of the quickest things, um, Stephanie basically touched on all the points, but I think when it comes to protesting, um, continue the preschool protest. But if there's rioting going on, and I'm saying, God forbid anything crazy happens, but if anything were to happen here, for example, in Toronto or anything like that, um, if you're an ally, you know what I'm saying? And you see other people pro like breaking things and kind of causing like whatever, like they're doing their own thing, they're rioting. It, that's a, don't right there. I wouldn't say you don't join them in doing that. You continue your peaceful protest because it's not your place to be doing that. You know what I mean? I know it doesn't sound like that. Again, I don't want to defend anyone, but it's it's honest truth. It's not your place to be doing that. If they're doing it because they're upset, and maybe it's not necessarily overall the right thing to do, but they're doing it because they're upset, and that's what their goal is. I don't think you should be stepping in to do that. I think it's their place. They're the ones angry. This is their protest. Maybe that's their riot. Let them do that. I think that's their place. You're supposed to be the one peacefully protesting. You're the one supposed to be making that change by being a reasonable person or the person that's like behind them as a resource. Um, I think also, see, the biggest thing is uh, trying to be that person that just like, that doesn't just post and post these things, but three, four, five months down the road, um, also like maybe doing an annual donation. I think that helps. Even if you don't have a lot of money, even like $10, $15, 20 bucks, I think that goes a long way. And you don't have to even tell anybody about this. You don't have to post anywhere. You can just do that. I think it helps a lot of these groups and to know that they have someone on your side doing that, even if you're not protesting every day, even if you're busy, you don't have the time doing something like that, you're still helping. You're still leading the way. And it's, it's a very good thing to do because I think, Ultimately, if you have all these excuses in the world, well, at least you're helping and you know deep down that you're helping in some sort of way instead of just looking for attention. I think the biggest thing with that Blackout Tuesday thing was I myself, I'm, I myself posted a Black Square, but my biggest thing was the message behind it. It wasn't just to post a Black Square. Um, and that's why I wrote what I did. That's why other people, I know some of my friends back in Jane Fitch wrote what they did. It says it's not about just like a specific day. It's supposed to be a Blackout every day, right? 
it's supposed to make people wake up and realize what's going on. It's not just about, oh, we're in this moment now, so we got to live in the moment. Like, this is, we're going to be living in this forever. It might be a moment for you, but I know the next day I woke up, I was black, right? Next day, Tiffany woke up, she was black. Next day, we woke it continues, to, it goes on and on. So it's not one of these things where you just stop and go and, okay, yeah, we're here now, let's end it. But it's going to be years and years and years. It's going to take a long, long time before we ever get to that point. The only way that's going to happen is if people step up and make the right decision. So I think just doing those things can go a long ways. Of course, of course. And um, I mean, as we're while we're on that topic, it kind of flows into our next question. But I mean, uh, Peter, you kind of nailed uh, a lot of the points for this next question. But I'm, I'm, I just want to ask for, of course, Tiffany, um, uh, with that blackout Tuesday and the black po- the black screen posts on Instagram and all that kind of thing, all those kind of things. How can people avoid just being, you know, online activists? I guess what further steps can people take? to further the movement, especially off the internet? Um, again, like Peter said, make donations. I don't think that this ends today because the next day, you know, all the others that also participated in this black, uh, Blackout Tuesday, the, the black people that participated in this, they're still going to be black the next day. This, isn't, this wasn't just a 24 hour thing or um, something to aesthetically just post on your Instagram. This is like, this is people's lives, you know? So I feel like people, instead of, um, besides just being an activist online, they should still um, follow these um, guidelines there is out there for how to be a better ally and things like that. Um, Sticking up for whatever's, um, correct to them, um, be, vi- like uh, being vocal about them about issues like that. Um, and I'm gonna say, like as a journalist, even um, my industry, I feel like besides just you know being in an an uh, an online activist as well, um, we should learn how to cover more topics in regards to what's going on in Black communities and other marginalized communities. Should be um there should be topics like that and there should be um you know there, there there needs to be a spotlight for for our voices and 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 everything so i think just besides that being trapped behind the screen of the screen of your phone of your of your laptop or whatnot um these things could be implied in order to make this um better and just to continue fighting the fight you know you um talking about these issues to a friend to educate family members that aren't aware of these um problems happening in our society um ask your teachers to you know talk about these things to 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 have these subjects in their um school curriculums because you know like besides online there's also school where people are supposed to learn kids are supposed to learn and um I feel like that's a, that's those are or one of the ways that you can continue to be an activist um, off screen. Of course, of course, and uh, like I said, Peter, uh, I mean you've you've uh, already nailed a lot of the points in relation to this uh, question. But is there anything you want to add to it? Yeah, I, I think it's again it's the same thing. Um, 
it's, it's kind of beating the point down, but I, I think it's the same thing again. It's, it's more so just um, understanding that it's just more than just like one day for us. It's going to be every single day of our lives. Uh, regardless of what happens from here on out, it's going to happen every day. So I think people just understand that and completely like grasp that point that it's not just a one-time thing. I think a lot of things could happen. Um, but until then, I mean, it still could, right? I don't, I'm, I'm not, I know I sound like a pessimistic, like pessimistic guy sometimes, but uh, for me, it, it's real change once we start seeing, um, you know, our government here do some more stuff. Beauty, um, and them start to acknowledge that the cabinet, I mean, basically all of it's white, not all of it's white, um, and realize there's a lot of issues that go deeper than just, I mean, this incident happened today. How could we get better from this incident? It's going to be more than just that. It's about preventing incidents not, like that from evening, like from even happening, from even popping up. The second that opportunity arises, to, you know what I mean, to kind of get away from that, st- like those kind of issues and police brutality and racism is- like comes into play, you know, how do we stop those things? How do we stop that from happening? You see a lot of petitions going on for the police, you know what I mean, to defund the police and for us to put that into black and brown communities. That's obviously a huge step. That's a major step one. Um, there's so many different things that could be done, but until that happens, you know, it's it's more than just one day. It's going to keep on happening. So hopefully people start recognizing that and uh, we can move from there. For sure. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think that's something that you pretty much hit the nail on the head there with uh, this is not going to just go away after one day. Um, as people, uh, as, as allies ourselves, we obviously cannot understand uh, or fully comprehend what it's like to be in the situation that you guys are in where on a daily basis, you have to experience racism of some kind or have to fear for your life. Um, I mean, I saw some a message that pretty much uh, hit the nail on the head for me. And it was just about how it's a privilege to learn about racism instead of experiencing your whole life. And I know that one of the things that the black community is fighting for, especially for these recent uh, waves of protests is the abuse from the police against the black community and their excessive force of police brutality. So I want to ask you guys, what do you think should be done or what should we continue to do to fight against police brutality and racism and promote anti-racism? Well, I'm going to, um, this is going to be very interesting answering this question because I want to give, uh, a different perspective on this. Um, I believe first and foremost, yes, of course, let's continue to protest. Let's continue to do as much as we can in order to um, fight the justice until the very end. But as a black woman living in a black community, like in terms of what we should do to continue to keep fighting against police brutality and anti-racism, against each other black people um again maybe this wasn't mentioned a lot in social media but we as black people need to be solidified we need to come together and gather as one in order to be a greater and stronger force because truly and I'm, i'm being very honest i think the oppressor takes advantage of us because he sees that we kill each other we're divided 
there's continuous and unnecessary jealousy in our community. Myself, I, I see it all the time. Also being Congolese, I see the jealousy. I see the enviousness completely unnecessary that keeps happening all the time. And um, that just needs to be put to a stop. Um, we need to come together as one. Um, we need to to leave the we need to leave behind and um, sorry for my language the bullshit, the hatred, and so much of what brings negativity into our community. Um, as I see the protests, as I see the riots, as I see several black people um, marching down um, big uh, streets and everything, my real question is one one of the questions I've actually asked myself is know happens after these protests and these riots we go back to our normal ways do we go back to um beefing with the next brother on the block um do we go back to buying non-black to uh, buying from non-black vendors um we need to eliminate el sorry eliminate that um we need to be solidified we need to keep um the same energy we're showing um, in these current protests, in the aftermath as well, because this needs to be a wake-up call for all my Black brothers and sisters listening to me right now. Let what we're witnessing right now cultivate the love, the support we need in order to continue moving forward as a community, to continue progressing together as a community. We need to come together be one force, one love, and stand beside one another. And just to add on before I finish off, um, I find it very alarming that some Black men and women have been very quiet on this topic. The ones that are content creators, like YouTubers. Um, I just, I have a message for, for all of you that's listening to me right now that are Black men, Black women that have um, social media platforms like YouTube, use your platform right now to speak up for your community. It's truly important that you come vocal. And um, at this time, like you can post your normal content on another day. Like talk about what matters because this also should matter to you. The murder of George Floyd should spark something to you. The case of Breonna Taylor should do something to you. The ongoing, like the the the, uh, the, the previous cases that have been happening there in Canada, in, in, in the States and around the world should be alarming to you, should do something to you. And um, talking about it when you're posting snapchat stories when you're posting instagram posts it says a lot to me um so that needs to change as well even after the protests even after the riots um conversation about ending racism um aiming to abolish po police brutality still needs to be ongoing and that's truly all i have to say for sure um, Peter, do you have anything you'd like to add? Yeah, on the topic of content creators, especially um, when you have that big of a platform, especially the YouTubers that have uh, a couple thousand subscribers, even if the platform is not necessarily huge, um, it, it's always, I think it's it's not even just the right thing to do. It's like, what are you doing at this point? It's like, uh, how could you even think of it? I mean, like, what's the point of even making content right now? How could you even think of that? 
uh, with what's going on right now. I mean, this doesn't affect just us. It affects them, too, especially uh, the black YouTubers and those people who are constantly doing, I mean, on their own time. I mean, obviously creating videos. It's kind of, I mean, what, what are you doing? It's going to affect you eventually. I mean, if you try to act ignorant towards it, it's going to come bite you in the ass eventually. Excuse my language, but it's going to come and and get you. I, I just don't understand why people wouldn't be more vocal on the issue, uh, especially when it directly affects you. But once again, it's it, it, that's what makes it so tough, right? That's why the whole thing of me coming back to it's going to take a lot of people um, to make a difference. And it obviously starts with us, but it, it's... It's those people as well who have bigger platforms, people who are in slight positions of power. And we saw the same thing with a lot of actors. Um, I don't have specific names, but I remember Don Lemon on CNN was talking about how he asked specific actors to come on come on the show and talk. And a lot of them were saying no. I think it was like Tracy Ellis Ross. Um, I think even Morgan Freeman is pretty, like, usually someone who speaks up on it, but I think he was also asked and he said no. A lot of them said or like some of them said it would ruin my brand. And it's kind of like, damn, like that's, that's, that's how you see it. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, you have a different way of doing it. Or you're going to silently like, or privately like donate. Fine. That's cool too. I, I have no problem with you doing that. But when you're that big, when you have that much status and that much influence over like white America, white people in general, uh, non-black POCs, it's just like, what? Like, honestly, your brand doesn't matter at that point. You're too big. You're, you're that big. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's it's about your life and the future. Um, so I think, yeah, those people in power should definitely, you know what I mean, speak up a lot more as well. And it, it's a shame that we even have to say stuff like this because you would think it'd be common knowledge. But again, it's a lot of problem with this world. There's a lot of not, not a lot of common sense sometimes, but it's the unfortunate reality. Um, hopefully those people start speaking up more and hopefully we start getting that to happen or else it's, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. That's my biggest thing. That's why I'm so pessimistic sometimes. It sounds sad, but it's the reality. Like, how many times have we seen stuff like this happen? I mean, not this big, obviously, because of, again, I think coronavirus has a lot to do with why people are so vocal in the first place. But how many times are we going to see something like this happen? People just brush it away, and it's a big thing for a week, and then all of a sudden people don't care anymore. How many times are we going to see an innocent person die at the hands of the system for no reason? And again, nothing happened. It gets to a point where you're just kind of beating a dead bush. People don't care, and you feel like you're the only one there. It, it, it gets sad, and that's why we desperately need allies. That's why we desperately need, need our own people to help us out, or else we're doing this for literally no reason, and it's 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 sad. So, um, again, to Tiffany's point, hopefully we get those people to speak up, and hopefully that continues to happen. If you're listening to this, do your part. Like, it's more than just, just doing it for our cloud or whatever it is, it's your life included. It's everyone's life in the future. A hundred percent. Um, those are, those are from both of you guys. Those are great points. And, um, it's, it's wonderful that you guys, um, being from the black community are able to, uh, voice those feelings of, uh, of course, uh, you know, directly right back to the black community. And I, I, I love, I love those points. Um, we want to start closing out, um, this uh, episode, but, um, since since we're a sports podcast and uh i mean we we don't want to talk about sports right now but um i think this is universal right now that we can all agree that sports you know athletes they have huge platforms um and huge voices um during this time especially we've seen a, a number of uh athletes get involved 
and and use their platform um and then but we we do want to just ask about you know they're they're the athletes who are you know causing some uh outlash and controversy i'd say uh from you know from what they don't say and 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 uh even even their um differing uh views um i'll let michael uh explain this one but uh i mean drew Brees, a football player um he uh he's caused quite an outlash right now michael i know you know football better so you could explain it but uh i mean we'll get into that first uh michael do you want to tell us okay just to make it super brief um this is kind of in connection with uh, the Colin Kaepernick uh, incident from uh, like protest from uh, 2016, where he knelt during the national anthem. And part of the reason why there was so much controversy is so many people were mistaking it for him disrespecting the U.S. flag and the troops when it was really about what it is we're talking about right now, injustices towards the black community with police brutality and police brutality. And again, Four years later, Drew Brees has asked that same question again, and he was again said the same thing. I will not respect anyone who disrespects the American flag. And again, that caused backlash because he's missing the point of what these protests uh, for today are and what Colin Kaepernick was protesting four years ago. And he kind of backtracked his statements a little bit today with an apology, but the damage was pretty much done in that uh, he... Uh, doesn't like it's maybe he's just one person that represents the bigger picture, but but he's from New Orleans, who which is a a community like especially on his team. There's a lot of uh, the black community is very well represented in New Orleans, so it was a very uh, I wouldn't say interesting is the right word, but it was it's very disappointing for someone like him to be where he's been for most of his career to say something like that. So I want I want to ask you guys about how athletes like Drew Brees and also NHL players who some have taken a while to respond. Some have said very little. Some have said nothing at all. Others have said a lot. And of course, NBA players who we know are very passionate about social issues, like just for athletes in general, how can they be more comfortable to speak up in situations like this? And how can we get them to inspire others to do the same? Um, yeah, I think, like I think a first step with uh, kind of making everyone comfortable with, uh, or not even not everyone, but athletes specifically, be comfortable answering these questions and also understanding what they're doing. I think is the first step they got to take. I think a lot of these athletes have to take is understand that um, sports are political. Like we can try to avoid it. I know a lot of people use sports as a pastime to kind of like take themselves out of the real world. But at the end of the day, they're political. I mean, you guys touched on hockey and how privileged it is and how you have to have a, like a ton of money to play the sport, how hard it is to get into it. There's a lot of things you got to, a lot of steps you got to take, a lot of connections you have to have. Um, I think a sport that gets underestimated how, how expensive it could be in some places is soccer. I know a lot of people say it's cheap. Well, it's cheap. It's just a ball. But like in North America, it's extremely expensive to get into soccer. Um, You'll be surprised how much it costs for entry fees. I used to play soccer um, when I was a lot smaller and I played that before playing football. Um, it's a lot of money for it. I think football too, especially a lot of equipment, even Canadian football, the equipment's expensive, getting into it. It's not easy playing a lot of these sports. And that's why you see a lot of people from low income homes go to basketball where it's a bit cheaper, but so expensive. Um, a lot of them are playing basketball or soccer. Usually that's where it starts, right? You don't see a lot getting into hockey. And if you see them getting into hockey, usually it's from a privileged home or someone who has some sort of connection that gets into it. 
Um, I think when it comes to inspiring them, I think for me, it's kind of like, it's gotten to the point where it's kind of annoying to even say, like, to even have them get exposed. Like, what's the point of even inspiring these people? If, if you're an athlete and someone like Drew Reese, for example, your majority of your team is black, but not even just that, you're from, like, you played in New Orleans, you know, most of the people around you are a certain skin color. It's more than just that. Like, you're being a decent human being. Where, where does that come into play? I, I'm not trying to say he's a bad person or anything like that. He's done a lot for New Orleans, given him a lot of money. No one's saying he's blatantly racist. No one's saying he's a terrible human being. But what we're saying is it's extremely tone deaf. It's ignorant. And it's just not like it's more than just a flag at this point. It's not it's never been about the flag in the first place. And even if it was about the flag, I mean, there's a lot with the second and third verse of the flag that points to slavery and systemic racism. That's not even, I mean, that's a whole different conversation, but it's not about the flag. Um, the whole reason why Kaepernick knelt is because of what he felt was going on, what was wrong. Um, police brutality was imminent and he felt the best way of showing that, you know, he wasn't standing up for something that was kind of just about, you know what I mean? Literally just nonsense and stuff that was just like kind of getting into him and rubbing him the wrong way. That's why he knelt. He was trying to prove a point and say, you know, it's, just, it's more than this. It's not about the flag. It's more than that. We all want to be treated the same. That was his whole point. And people just took it to another level. It's been taken out of context ever since. And unfortunately, it's just, it's it's gotten out of hand. And people like Drew Brees either just refuse to acknowledge it. And I don't even want to say Drew Brees is ignorant because he's, I mean, been on a record of saying things before where, I mean, he knows what he's doing. He's taking pictures with people don't like this, but he's taking pictures with Donald Trump. He's been around a lot of individuals that, you know what I mean, have said, oh, no, he's actually a very insightful person. So I don't even want to say it's ignorance. It's just he's picked, it's, he's somewhat picked a side. And it's not even just to say like, oh, you're, you're iffy, iffy, you're 50, 50. It's like he picked a side and yeah, he can backtrack it and say what he wants, but I mean, Maria Taylor, ESPN she commentator, she just tweeted this out a couple hours ago. She said, my thoughts on the whole Drew situation, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. It's Maya Angelou, right? It's kind of like, you can backtrack it now, but I mean, you've been proven not to be an ignorant person. You know what you're talking about, and you still said this, and you've had years to kind of just educate yourself. I mean, like at this point, he, what is he, 41 years old? I mean, if you're not gonna, it's not going to get out of your head now. It's never going to happen. So, um. It's, it shouldn't even have to be a point where we have to inspire people to make change and do this. Like by now it's either you understand it or you don't. The ways we can inspire people to kind of start making changes by what we're doing now, talking about it, having those uncomfortable conversations and making them realize, hey, like it's bigger than just, it's not about sports anymore. It's not about who you're with or you have to be nice to someone because of their skin color. No, it's just human decency. It's humanity. I, I it's It's almost tiring sometimes talking about this all the time because it's like, it's so it feels so simple to say and like to understand yet like like the way i'm trying to even i'm trying to word it right now and the way people try to talk about it it's kind of ridiculous that we have to like put it in so many different ways for people to understand um and and that's my biggest thing with this whole thing talking about it so much it's like it's so simple like what is there not to get what don't you understand and for me it's kind of it's gotten past the point a little bit more of just inspiring people and telling them what's good it's kind of like you either know it or you don't. If you don't, then I can't really be around you. I love those points, honestly. And, and you hit the nail on the head, um, as you have been all podcast. But uh, my closing thought on uh, just uh, this, this, this the, the sports angle of this is just, uh, 
you know, I, I think the sports world is really a microcosm of the universal problem um, that we see um, going on. And I think it, it, it uh, there's there's different ways you can look at it. But with the Drew Brees situation, one thing that I, I, saw, I took away was, you know, it really shows that, you know, just because, you know, a, uh, a non-black person or a white person who grew up, you know, around um, black people, you know, you can't always just expect them to get it. And I think what we have to keep fighting for and just hope is that privileged people, um, privileged non-black uh, people, um, you know, just start to realize that privilege. And, and again, uh, going back to hockey culture, hockey culture is easily probably one of the most conservative and uh, privileged cultures. And obviously it's it's predominantly white. Um, all we ask is that they realize their privilege and and like you said, Peter, um, just, you know, just just care about humanity in the end and and uh, hope that they, they, they realize that and then be able to um, speak and 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 speak about these situations and really uh, try to try to make a difference. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I agree with that. I think that's that's exactly that's exactly it, man. Mm-hmm. So um, we'll start to close out the episode um, here. Uh, first, I mean, what an amazing discussion. Um, thank you both of you guys for coming on. Honestly, it was this was such an eye-opening experience. Uh, you know, and 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 I really hope this podcast, like what me and Michael pl- hoped, you know, while we were planning this out, was that this 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 podcast isn't just us coming on and talking about what's been going on but we want it to be a resource that people can listen to and really use to educate themselves and and learn more and actually want to take action absolutely i agree and um i thank you guys actually for for giving me and myself and peter the opportunity to come up and talk about Um, these important things. Um, I do understand that, you know, your uh, podcast is based on speaking on sports. It's really, it's really touching for me to see that, you know, you kind of set that aside and um, decided to be vocal about these issues. And we are going to continue fight as best as we can. Um, As a journalist myself, I, um, I, and to continue the fight through um, the writing. Obviously, I can't really do much right now since we are um, quarantined. Um, I feel, I believe that my activism will be demonstrated in the work that I'm going to be producing in the, the hopefully in the coming days. Um, yeah, this platform was really um, needs of opportunity to be vocal about these issues. And um, I hope more opportunities like this happen. And I hope that others um, that listen to this, content creators especially, get inspired um, behind this idea and to just keep the, the, the ball rolling, to keep the conversation rolling because right now it's definitely needed. I mean, as much as it was in the past, right now I feel like because everybody is aware, completely aware, based on the, the protests and the riots that we've seen, at this time is truly appropriate appropriate to um to blend into the conversation 100 percent 
Um, and I, Peter, I don't know if you have any added thoughts, but I wanted to use this time uh, as well if you guys want to shout out uh, any you know any resources that uh, the listeners can really uh, use uh, and, and to educate themselves or any donation drives, uh, you know, petitions or just any. I know you guys know a good amount of resources that people can visit and use. Um, do you just want to add some of those uh, as part of your closing thoughts? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go, go on, Peter. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> um, I just, I'll be really quick. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, uh, I know I spoke about We the Protesters before, but um, they work with a bunch of groups. Um, they're very, fairly easy to find out what they're about. Um, and for them, it's all about solutions. And a lot of people always make the excuse, oh, so what's your solution? Is it just like going to be you're doing like something easy with money or anything like that? No, it's more than that. They actually have solutions. Uh, Campaign Zero, also huge for their solutions. Um, kind of getting rid of minor broken windows offenses. So like consumption of alcohol on streets, trying to make sure like if someone, you know, is publicly intoxicated, it doesn't lead to somebody dying. I mean, that person, if you're going to send them to jail, put them in jail, not to kill them innocently for no reason. Um, loitering, trespassing, things like that, jaywalking, like minor, minor offenses that are committed, not for these people to be, you know what I mean, killed for doing things like that. I mean, it, it's ridiculous. The stop and frisk, the frisking things, uh, profiling, um, and trying to like work on mental health crises, make sure, I mean, that's been a big thing here, especially in Canada. Um, a lot of the situations that you see in Canada that happen in Toronto, especially, are not just people attacking the police. It's just people who are going through mental health crises. We saw with Regis, we saw with, um, yeah, I forgot the individual two months ago. I can't remember his name exactly, but he was killed innocently. Um, and all we heard from the SAU from that was, oh, well, he we felt threatened. So it, our conclusion was they felt threatened enough to pull out a gun and shoot him. It's like things like that that they're trying to get rid of. And it's always good for them. To, I mean, giving money to them, it helps them hire mental health professionals, social workers who can come on scene instead of having the police who have, I mean, not too much, little to no training on that, to be honest with you. Um, it helps them come on scene instead and they'll do a better job of de-escalating situation than most officers who don't have the experience uh, will do. So just a lot of places like that. We, Campaign Zero and We The Protesters, are, they do a really good job. They're organizations that help out in the States a lot. And also um, some of them in Canada with We The Protesters, they work with Black Lives Matter, who's Black, Black Lives Matter Toronto and a lot of other uh, organizations. Of course. Thank you for that. Um Tiffany, do you have anything you want to add? Um, I think Peter said it all for me, to be honest. Um, what I'm going to also add on is check out articles. Like, there's been a main, the mainstream media has been posting a lot of resources that um, people can access, Black people can access um, in terms of mental health, especially. Um, there's resources. Um, I, I, there's also um, Lani Walker also a graduate from Ryerson and she wrote a piece with Block TO um, about uh, mental health resources that Black people can access. Um, so I think even besides just um, signing petitions and um, making donations online, I think it's very essential to support Black-owned businesses. Um, there's a lot of talent, there's a lot of good things that Black people in the community are doing and they deserve um, the recognition of their hard um, of their hard work. And um, just on top of my head, I'm thinking about um, how you could 
follow these uh, owners, black owners on Instagram. There's uh, at Hair by Naomi. There's at Jodi Alese. She's a makeup artist. Very, very, very good makeup artist. Um, for seafood lovers that are located in Montreal, uh, please check out at Eve's Bayou. And um, for any catering um, services requiring cakes, cupcakes, um, very phenomenal cakes and cupcakes, if I may add, um, sweet treat tables for any event, please contact at Yaz uh, Baked Goods Galore. Um, there's a bunch of other um, Black-owned businesses and vendors. Uh, please do not hesitate to contact me on Instagram through at ms.mnc and I'll be able to provide um, many pages, many um, profiles available for anybody to contact uh, Black owners or anything they're looking to um, in terms of service. So yeah, I think it's important to um, support Black-owned businesses during this time. And of course, and after all of this, like they'll continue to go to um, your Black-owned nail salon, your Black-owned hair salon, whatever it is, like keep going to that because we need the support. We need, um, we just need it, period. That's all. Awesome. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, we yeah. will we'll put both of your guys' uh, social media links in the podcast episode description. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, honestly, thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, we really, really uh, appreciate it. And, and, and I think it really created something that can really be used as a powerful resource, hopefully. Hopefully. I hope so. I hope so for myself. And uh, yes, this was very insightful, powerful, and moving. And um, again, thank you so much for this opportunity. No problem. Thank you for coming on here, of course, and, and voicing uh, your uh, just just you know using your voice honestly on our podcast. Before before we close out, I just have one more thing to say. Um, on a, on a bright note, um, with uh, in terms of the donations, um, I just want to shout out everyone who has been donating, and I want to share a, a nice little story here that, um, Michael, you kind of started. It was nice to see. Um, mm -hmm. I just wanted to put it on the podcast, but. You started a thread on Twitter <laughs> um, uh, where you uh, donated, of course, and uh, I, I, I decided to match your donation, and I challenged people to don uh, to match and donate as well. And I directly only uh, caused to or, or got two people to uh, match, uh, but uh, and those two people, I, I told them I'd give them a shout out next po uh, next episode, thinking only uh, you know I I originally thought you know it would be nice if a few people donate of course all the donations help but uh i, I directly um got um alex alex hanumgen and uh juno the leafs our, our buddy juno to uh match my donation but uh juno did a lot of the carrying in this thread because uh he actually got a lot of people to match him and even donate more and i just want to shout those out because again like we said donate if you can because uh donating is uh, it, it helps the movement so much, uh, as Peter and Tiffany both said, and, and even on top of donating, um, you know, just just keep um, fighting for uh, for for justice, really. But I just want to give a quick shout out. You guys are gonna, <laughs> I I just ha there, it, 
there was a lot of people that donated and, and I, I love seeing that. So I, I want to give everyone a shout out there. Um, but I'll just give a, a quick list and then we'll end off the episode. Um, so from June of the Leafs, uh, after him, uh, XOX Bia, um, Lore1975, uh, Greg Krebeck, um, Buck underscore 16, um, Finger, these are their username, Finger underscore Guns underscore Pew, uh, Ride the Pine 89, uh, HC Frizzle, Austin Statues uh, underscore RD95 underscore, uh, The Oak Leafs, Darnit XLB, Nick Cole 82, Bird Boy underscore Nick, Go Leafs 8, Brando Tango, Mikey Stevens, of course you know Mikey Stevens, uh, Punk Witch, uh, Willy Nilly, um, Chelsea Darlington, Jamie Wagner 26, our buddy Nick Barden, Alex B. Leafs, uh, Dirtbag underscore Daddy, underscore Jordan Rivera, Mur Out Loud, uh, Nick Richard, Bill Leafs, uh, Ginger underscore Cam 80, Dudgy, Butte in a Suit, uh, Bree Gray, and uh, Pamela Voorhees. Sorry, those are a lot of names, but I like how I think the the fact that there were a lot of names there is 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 something really nice to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and I feel like this is proof that uh, maybe this time there's something different that not everybody's willing to listen and willing to make the changes needed that have been should have been made a long time ago. But this is just one small act towards helping fight towards the ultimate goal of having the black community feel include included and safe um just before we do wrap up today's episode um i just want to leave the audience here with some words of thought like just some things to think about and yes first of all thank you peter and tiffany for everything you've uh, brought here today and everything you said and taking the time to uh come on our show and provide your insight on these on these issues and like i said earlier in the episode i want you guys to really take in what peter and tiffany said but not just them but what your other friends in the black community have to say in general, because they cannot be ignored anymore. The time for ignoring is over. It's time to not be silent and to listen to them. Um, It's especially with police brutality, because there's too many cops like Derek Chauvin, who was the person that uh, murdered George Floyd. The reason why the black community doesn't trust them is because there's two people like uh, Derek Chauvin on the force. They should be held accountable right away. Just like it should have been with the all four cops from the Minneapolis who were on the scene when George Floyd was murdered. Everyone, there should be accountability held right away. And in general, there has to be actions taken, not just today, but every single day. Because this fight is not just a one-time thing. Just because we post something on social media doesn't mean the fight is over. Continue to fight. Continue to learn. Continue to listen. Because this fight is going to take a long time. It's going to be painful. It's going to be stressful. But it's a fight that we need to go together as allies and helping the black community because they cannot be silent anymore. They cannot be ignored anymore. We have to listen to them. We need to help them. And I want to leave you guys with these words of wisdom. For all lives to matter, black lives have to matter. If black lives don't matter, all lives won't matter. For sure. And with that, uh, again... Thank you, Peter and Tiffany, for coming on. Appreciate you. You're welcome. Thank you. No thank worries. you guys so much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, guys. And uh, with that, we will close out the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys next time. See you guys.